Welcome to Planet Marzipan Podcast. Your fish and marillion podcast. Where we talk about all things in the planet of marillion and fish. I'm Meza, and here's my mate, Craig Houston. to the latest Planet Mardi Fan podcast. I'm Meza and I'm here with my attractive assistant, Craig. Oh, fair, whichever, I don't care. It, it's not the weekend, you're not fair, it's okay. But oh. we have guests, we have guests. We, we have, have legends. Legends, legends, the lot of them. We have, he's all the rage, Gary Page with us again. Hello, hello John and hello Craig. Hello. How you doing? He's not the rage, that's Thomas Page. He is, he's, he, well, he's in bed now, he's Michelle's putting him to bed, so uh, yeah, he's going to be quiet now. He's only six and a half, I should say. And he hasn't got a jingle to my knowledge, but Scott Evans is back with us. Woohoo! Hey, Scotty! Pleased about that look? He's pleased about that? I am very pleased. And are we have... you know what? I'm going to just say to Scott, though, in all of our episodes, we are up to 20, this will be episode 26, 27, or whatever. Your episode, the Fugazi episode, is number two still. There you go. How about that, eh? There's a legend. You've got star pull on that one. <laughs> anyway. We've only got a back for the numbers. In a bit to top all our guests so far, we have the one and only Gary Foley, Axel F. Here in the Good house. evening, gentlemen. Good evening. Uh, it's, maybe I'm the only um, Marzipan virgin tonight, I think. You, you are. are. You, you are. are. And because you're a Marzipan virgin... The first question goes mm-hmm. to you. Before we say what we're going to talk about, it's obvious from the title of the pod, but Gary, where did you first hear about Marillion? Yeah, well, it was 1984, 40 years ago. Um, I went to my good friend, David Cowie, if you're listening, David. Popped round his house. He said, Gary, you'll not believe this uh, thing I've recorded on BBC last night. Shows me the, um, come on, John, where was it again? Uh, Chippenham Gold Chippenham Diggers. Gold Diggers. Chippenham Gold Diggers, yeah. So he shows me that, and to be honest, just straight over my head, local makeup on, didn't get it at all. I was still mourning the fact that the jam had broken up in 1982, and I hadn't really, wasn't ready for a relationship again with music, you know. But fast forward 1987, I'm listening to the radio, and this song comes on, really good, and then this guitar solo appears in it, blows my mind, and it's Sugar Mice by Marillion. So I'm straight on my BMX down to David's house. Right, David, I've seen the light. I've seen the light. Uh, what have you got? And I took home a tape of Real to Real, and I've never looked back since. So how old were you then? I was 16 then. Right. So where well, were yeah, you? I first heard them at 13. Yeah, yeah. So what happened was, right, you, like yourselves, you know, you just, once you get into them, you're into them, right? So I went out and bought them all the Fish albums, and Clutching being the new one. And um, they were doing some Christmas stroke New Year dates around that time. Um, but the City Hall in Newcastle was sold out. Knowing what I know now, I would have got in somehow, you know, whether that was, you know, a ticket tout or, or what have you. But I, being naive, I just went home, bought the live at Laurelie VHS, and 
that had to do for Christmas, really. And then um, the next, well, this is what I thought. Great, I'll just see them on the next tour. So I don't uh, the jam had already broken up. I w- I'd already been heartbroken. Yeah, you've once, got you form. Yeah, you've got yeah. form. You've broken two bands yeah. up. So um so basically I sent away for tickets for the Brixton Academy show, which would have been the you know, the album after clutching. And we got the letter back saying, um, sadly, you know, fish has left, etc. There's your check back. So I had to wait a year or whatever. And it was um, my first Marillion Stroke Fish experience was Halloween, 1989, uh, Fish Vigil Tour at Newcastle City Hall. And then about, it was the 3rd of December, yeah? Then it was Marillion, yeah? So a double whammy. Thanks for joining us. That's tonight. It is epic. (laughs) (laughs) The longest dance. Yeah, yeah. But I'm still heartbroken about it. If I could have seen them, you know. They were good. You should have seen them. Oh, don't rub it in. (laughs) (laughs) You could have won. (laughs) You made up for it, but you know. know, It's the speedboat. Well, look, Gary, you're more than welcome on here. Um, Talking about, well, I'm going to, full disclosure on this episode, and the next episode, we're going to talk about my favourite Marillion album. So expect lots of fanboy stuff. But I know these guys on the pod with me feel the same way. So, oh yes, you want to you want to save yourself an hour or two? There's your there's your review. <laughs> it's the quickest uh, episode of Genius or Bollocks good. <laughs> but if you're with us for the long haul, we're going to talk about the road to Brave. Uh, we're going to talk about the gigs. We're going to talk about the writing sessions and we're going to go through the album and the Warners and the numerous live recordings of Brave that are out there. So, And we... I think it'll be a ridiculous amount of uh, your favourite slots as well because there's, oh, yeah. Various, yeah, has, yeah, yeah. there's various different vinyl Is anybody else taking of... part in my favourite slot this time? I definitely am. I've got a gripe and it's coming Good later. Man. Good man. Okay. I'm glad Mark's not here. But... Sorry? I'm glad Mark's not there because um... we'll be getting an email. You're all right. <laughs> we'll, we'll forward an email. On so, Craig, you were around at this point, weren't you? You were. Oh how, yes. How old were you when Brave came out? I was twenty-one. Oh dear, that's twenty-one. I've never been kissed. Oh, I have been. <laughs> oh. oh yes, I have been. <laughs> not by me. No, that that was a few months later. That was later, wasn't it? Okay. <laughs> Once you bloomed. <laughs> Uh, once I was. <laughs> I'm not that kind of girl. So after the Holidays album then, EMI had a, a stern word with John Arneson and uh, I think they made it very clear that they were looking for a quick, relatively cheap album. They had a big change in direction with 91, yeah, with yeah, being, yeah. being signed to, well, John Arneson had, had moved from being an independent manager to being part of the hit and run team. And they got promised the earth. Obviously, the, there's the infamous Genesis story where the if the one of the um, nuggets to entice them onto hit and run was being promised the a support on the Icon Dance Tour, which never materialised. But you know, it was bitter. You from the sound of things, but yeah, <laughs> I didn't say that to her. You did. <laughs> I did. Yeah, both of them. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I think from listening to interviews with Dave Megan. The fact that he'd uh, was he was he engineer on Fugazi, yeah, he was tape engineer. So so he got a connection with the band, and he was fairly cheap. I think they sort of fell into the EMI 
pricing strategy and costing strategy. So it was um there was a Dave Megan's wife worked for um EMI and she worked with the AR guy. Right. So that's how the I think that's how the name came up. Yeah. Um Nick Mander. No, it was the right. AR AR guy at the time. Yeah. And I think the 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 connection hadn't been made initially that he had worked with them on Fugazi. That that came later when when it was sold to the band. But I think from clips that I've seen of Dave, that kind of was his way into, into them, yeah. convincing the band that he was the right choice for the album. Yeah. Um, but he got he kind of done lots of sort of indie stuff prior to that, hadn't he? Yeah. He was on. He was also the um, tape off on Joshua Tree. Which was is it? This was a little yeah, album. Yeah, that's how he got his a little, a little album. Good. An Irish band. I have heard of. <laughs> yeah. Timmy Shirt. <laughs> Only on his mates, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so that was that was EMI expected. Hey, all right, Craig. <laughs> <laughs> Craig's having a coronary. <laughs> Medic. I'm <laughs> thinking. <laughs> so that's kind of the background to EMI wanting something to come out very quickly. When did they start working on this album then? What's what year? Was February that? 93. 93. Yeah. So this was sort of the, I think the band took what would have been the, uh, the cash for the recording and they actually built the first racket club, didn't they? Well, they, they leased it in a, a little um, brick, actually um block uh, unit. Uh, in Aylesbury, yeah, uh, just down the street from where we are now. On putting the equipment in, <clears> yeah, and I think uh, that's that's how they uh, thought. Let's let's just do this nice and cheap. You know, we'll we'll buy so we'll we'll, we'll kind of rent somewhere nice, and you'll know, not have to spend thousands of pounds a day on uh, rehearsal studios and recording studios. And well, I think they could see the writing on the wall with EMI. Is my take on it. They knew what was coming up, so this was sort of trying to build some sort of financial stability to go forward. In if, case. If everything ended with AMI. Yeah. Um, which, you know, was quite a good move, really, as it, as it worked out, wasn't it? Yeah, it was It was a similar... It was a, Not to say that they the, the took a, a leaf looking at what Fish was doing, because Fish was doing something completely different at the time, because he took the stab first with the Funny Farm, Funny Farm Recording Studios back in... Let's say the end of eighty nine and into ninety when he when he moved and, and opened it up in ninety one for the recording and everything of internal exile. But whereas he spent an absolute fortune and got himself into a lot of financial hock uh, with the whole um, residential thing, they thought this is our own little unit. It's for us, cheap and cheerful, does the job. Yeah, and yeah. Did, how did they come about? With uh, sort of tying the story, well, how did it become a concept album, really? Because H had heard the story about the girl being found on the bridge on the radio years years before, hadn't he? On the Seven Bridge. Yeah, but the the record, I think, the, wasn't it a John Helmer lyric originally that had Runaway and was mm-hmm. Hard as Love as well? On, yeah. Well, looking at these uh, web magazines, it was Living with a Big Lie as well, um, yeah. I think. And um, I was just... Changing the subject slightly. Don't yeah, you think? That, don't you think the Runaway is like a, a follow up to uh, the Party? Like I was listening to it recently, yeah. I thought, and it sounds it sounds like it's almost like a. I don't know if it's written at the same time, but it's definitely like it's like she's finished. She's been to her first party, and then the parents drag her home, 
And then it's kind of this, like, they both kind of live in the same world for me. Yeah. Sorry, yeah, sorry to change yeah. the subject. No, no, that, 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 yeah. that's, yeah. that's, that's really valid. Yeah, I'd never, never in a month of Sundays put the two together. But yeah, I can, I can, I can see definitely a, a connection there. Yeah, it's just, yeah, it came to me in the last few years when I've just been listening to Merlin, as we do. <laughs> I've, I've been playing a few of the demos just as a sort of lead up to this. There's some really interesting ones on the on the two CD reissue from 98. The lyrics for, I think, is it Lap of Luxury? Yeah, I listened to that today as well. It's, based, it, it's more sort of autobiographical. Well, no, it's yeah. not. It's based about a man... It's like celebrity. Divorced and, you know... It mentions a celebrity. Stephanie and Monaco. And yeah, yeah. It's a really different lyric to how, obviously, how it ended up. Mm. The... Well, we're jumping around a little bit, but the making of is is the, ver- the very first making of, and it's more snippets rather than, as they became later, full jams or, or three, four-minute sections. Um, so it's hard... The, these demos that are on the, the two-CD reissue are more interesting because they're more sort of song structures. There's um, Living With A Big Lie, Lap of Luxury, and something called Dream Sequence, which is an instrumental section that they didn't use. Um, but yeah, I think, uh, as as one of you guys has said, the Helmer lyrics, Runaway, and was it Living With A Big Lie, you said, Gary? I think, yeah, if looking at the web magazines today, yeah. I'll try and find it in a minute. I think those are the things that H sort of hung the story onto, and then they had a sort of start somewhere to sort of a framework for the for the story. Yeah, an initial framework to start with, yeah. Yeah. I don't think they initially set out to do a concept album, did they? I, I remember reading an interview with Mark Kelly, and he said that was it was never the intention. It kind of just happened. And they, they didn't want to go down the trap that they'd fallen into in, on holidays and eating. And, um, yeah, um, of like making something really commercial or not what they wanted. So, yeah. They, um, and it, I mean, they talked about this a few times, but that that struggle to finish a song, not finish it as in like complete it, like just actually end it, <laughs> <laughs> without it uh, <laughs> going on for six weeks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and uh, yeah, that's how it kind of came about. It's interesting yeah. that the guy who kind of a lot of the old hardcore might have thought was responsible for them going a bit pop on holidays in places. Um, He's the guy who's the catalyst for doing a concept album. Yeah, and going completely uncommercial, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but I think in the documentary, I think Music Rothers talks about this is the first album where they kind of work together as a unit. You know, the season's end was virtually finished when H came on board, so it was just sort of local melodies and maybe Easter being added. Um, Holidays was traumatic for him because they were all working at their pace, and H was wanting to finish things and, and neatly tie up sort of songs. And by Brave, he'd slowed down to their glaciation pace <laughs> of writing. And, you know, when we when we chat when we had chatted with him the other week, he was talking about this, that he really did struggle. He, you know, his whole writing style was put that section with that section and then we can, you know, we can move on. Whereas they're like, mm, I'm not really sure about that. Let's just put it on the shelf and see what happens, you know. I think when he starts something, he likes to get it processed through and finished rather than left dangling, put on the shelf for six months or a year, and then to come back. He, he said with his, his pop sensibilities, he, he just likes to get things finished. Yeah, looking at going back to my web archive, 
Um, yeah, this is this is them t- talking about recording. They've just started recording, but there's three lyrics. There's Bridge that he's published, Living with the Big Lie and Runaway and Standing in the Swing. And it's got the album titles Throwing a Seven. I don't know if you remember that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so uh, yeah, that's in this web magazine. What what episode? What, what? Uh, it says it says number one ninety four, but I don't think it is. I think it's like ninety three because it says that they're they're recording in in Marowat. So I don't think it is ninety four. I think there's they a mistake. To, in the front. They used to number them for your year of membership, didn't they? I think yeah. It's got H on the front. Yeah, with the that's a great picture actually. Then yeah. Um, While we were talking about like the road to it and like how they ended up recording and how they are now, I think Brave was. It, or is the album that has like paved all their years up to now in terms of how they record. I mean, they always talk about how quick um, Afraid of Sunlight came out after, after Brave, but I think the process that they went through with Brave kind of made that possible. Yeah, and I, and I don't think they've looked back since then. I think that I'm not saying I don't think they've bettered Brave, but I think how they record and uh, go about things and explore sounds was all from that. Change, that that was the album that, that changed and wanted. Mm. Oh, massively! Um, yeah. yeah, I hadn't lis- I hadn't listened to the Marowak Jam for I'd say about over fifteen years, and I listened to it on the way to work today, and it's just amazing. Like it sounds, yeah, just I mean, there's little snippets of all those kind of that kind of mad section in there. That's but it's just yeah, great hearing them jamming away, um, and that's the, the beauty of it. That's, I think that's why they're so unique, really. It's interesting because time has played a different view on it. I, well, I, th- I think because like I remember Holidays Needing coming out and everyone crying because it was commercial. Um, <laughs> and, and, and when you look back on that now, you go, well, no, it's not really, is it? Like, you, you know, if you, if you look at the end songs, the opening songs, the party, you know, I think because it had no one count on, it was seen as yeah. commercial. Yeah, which was only an updated version of Kaylee in, in reality, and like so, I think if you if you look if you kind of all right, sorry, no one <laughs> an updated version of Kaylee. <laughs> yeah, isn't like a, you know a four mini pop song. Yeah, I mean, okay, it's not in the same league as Kaylee, but I, I, I'm, I'm saying like it, it wasn't as if they'd not done it before. Yeah, yeah. For some reason, a lot of people barked at it, but yeah, I think if, if you look back on that now, Holidays even fits in a little bit more with the first four albums and season's end than it does with later Marillion, I think. No, anyway. I think this gave them the freedom. I mean, they basically just carried on down the road they were on with this, you know, EMI thought they were getting a cheap album. They got an album that cost them £375,000 plus 100 100 grand on the film, which we'll talk about soon. Yeah, so it's a half half a million quid debt is just like, woo! So it could easily have been the end with them. At EMI, this. I mean, they they let them stay on for that last album of the contract, thankfully. But um, I get the impression that the the guys were sort of finally pleased that that the five of them were writing together and all felt like a unit um, after the split with Fish. This was the first time that they really sort of gelled together uh, and were moving in the same direction. So they were sort of on a course and weren't going to be stopped. Yeah. I think you're right. I think it's as, as Scott was saying. I think it's it's yeah, it is the template really of the new of them working together as a five, as a as a collective. Um, yeah, beautifully. <laughs> yeah, and then they looked for somewhere apart from, you know, working in, in the racket club. Uh, 
they looked for some way to get away from it all, to get away from distraction, to get the writing process on. And uh, it was Miles well, Copeland. <clears throat> they were offered that through through Miles Copeland or their link with IRS records. Yeah, because he's the, he's the head of IRS in America, the American label at the time. And they decided to pack up everything and head off to the Dodoing. <laughs> well, the Chateau Marowak features in both Marillion and Fish's history, doesn't it? It does with the writing session um, that Fish did that ended up being a, a fair chunk of Rain Gods with Zippos coming soon to a podcast near you. <laughs> At some point. Um, yeah, I think, I think Miles had been using the Chateau as a sort of uh, a writer's base, so he would get groups of songwriters together rent out the chateau and they do songwriting workshops and you know the idea was that they would get songs that they could farm out to other artists if need be but yes so so as, as craig says the band sort of decamped to the chateau cables trailing from each of the turrets of the castle to connect everything up they had microphones in stairwells just to capture ambience in the in this web magazine the h refers to it as a space shuttle crashed in a cathedral <laughs> Yeah, he's, he's got a better way with words than I have, hasn't he? <laughs> I would imagine if, if you were there at the time, you'd be very, very paranoid because no matter if you're going to go in the bath, if you're going to go at the toilet, <laughs> is there a microphone there? Because Dave and recording it's, everything that's going on. It's interesting, though, considering they went there with, like, well, a couple of songs, it says it's almost a continuous piece of music. So they obviously knew it was going to be a continuous piece of music just over an hour long. Um, he says the songs occur like beads on a necklace. So they obviously knew it was going to be what it became, kind of. <laughs> but they'd only, am I right? How long were they at the Chateau for? It was was it two months with a break, with a week's break at some point in between. But I think it was two months or there from the I think it was from the February. And they the idea was that they'd get all the recording done there, and then they'd mix at Par Street in Liverpool. Yeah. What did they get some of the get some of the drums and some the of the bass? To... Album out, all they actually recorded is the drums. Is that right? Yeah, some of the drums and some of the bass. And a bit of the bass wanted. Yeah. yeah. Well, Gary would know that. He would be the, the bass player. Yeah. Yeah. Guess more importantly, they wrote the majority of the material. I guess. Yeah, but EMI were hoping that that, that oh, time of course, that we're were waiting for a mix. Yeah, yeah sure. Yeah. So they just come back to Liverpool, mix the album. Robert's your uncle, but, um... and I, I think the A and R guy was having palpitations as the weeks and months drew on, and you can you can imagine it if if a record company I mean, you could imagine it now if a, a record company was spending this big chunk of money uh, and they need a return as soon as possible. You could, you know, hmm. He's worrying for his job because there's something like, <laughs> there's a blank check out there for a band making an album, and I think yeah. he, well, he... I think. Some 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 senior management must have been really seriously breathing yeah. down his neck. <laughs> well, even as a fan, like I I I got into the band through Holidays in Eden um, when I was about sixteen, and saw them. I know you were at the gig, Craig, the tenth anniversary gig in '92, and I was thinking, oh, next year there'll be an album, and I'll be the first album I buy when it comes out. And I waited and waited and waited, <laughs> and it just seemed when you're younger, time goes on forever. As, doesn't it? But it just seemed to go on forever until it came out. I think it was the fact that 
uh, even though we weren't round at the time, you, you know, you, uh, you script your Fugazi and your, your misplaced were like bang, 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 a year apart. Thank you, Sal. Well, we'll have to speak personally. Yeah, so the it wasn't that long between seasons end and holidays, and then you had the tenth anniversary in between. So we were yeah, expecting it after the tenth anniversary, way next year, next yeah. year an album, and it wasn't, and it was all all we had in between the, the, the Fisher Marillion front was um, songs from the mirror and the start of '93. I pretty pretty much did in my whole of college, well, <laughs> from the tenth anniversary gig to Brave coming out. So yeah, that's a, seemed a long time. Yeah. So what what was what was the web magazine covering while they, while they were sort of recording then Gary what sort of things were featured in the magazine um so there's a i think there's an interview there's a there's a there's a review so just like like it is now kind of people fans talking about past gigs and um there's a bit about songwriting by Mark Kelly and he just talks about King of Sunset Town Spencer. I haven't read these for years I'm going to read them again there's a Q&A with H um where he, he Strangely, his favourite film's Apocalypse Now. <laughs> Which does get a mention a, a few times. Yeah, I know, it was, yeah. yeah. amount of times I've heard him say that. Um, the whole heart bless, of the darkness. Bless him. Um, yeah, there's not much, yeah, not, not a I, great I deal issue, in there. I think the issue after that, which had got them all dressed in Mexican gear, uh, the teeth blacked out and they had a tequila party, that yeah. covers a lot of the Marriott period, if I remember rightly. Yeah. From my web subscription days. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. And this... I, thought, I can remember just thinking, it just looks like they're pissing about. <laughs> <laughs> Get back in the studio and off the yeah, For God's sake. <laughs> Pull yourselves yeah. together, boys. Yeah. I think they've, they've thought getting Dave Megan is a cost saving exercise, but that, the guy enjoys spending ages and ages. He's perfectionist and he likes. He likes to play, you know, play around with the studio and mm. um, he's not the right man to knock something out in. <laughs> then again, the, the next album after this may be, so. <laughs> well, I was just, I didn't know, he, he. I was just having a look at what he's worked on. He's an engineer, engineer on It's a Sin by Pet Shop Boys. Yeah, yeah, yeah he's amazing. Pet Shop Boys, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm a massive Pet Shop Boys fan. I didn't didn't know that. Um, yeah, crazy. And and also Erasure, he's done a lot, yeah, a lot of pop stuff, a lot of indie stuff as well. Yeah. Well, the good thing about Parsley was they met Mike Hunter there. They did. So, but was... um, didn't Parsley have a Marillion connection in any case? Because wasn't it Paul Lewis's place? It was Paul Lewis's studio, I think. Yeah. Yeah, because wasn't he? Didn't he used to? Was it tour manager? Them or? tour manager back in the fish yeah. days. Yeah. See, this well, is this was... is before my time. Before my time. <laughs> Isn't that where they finished? Well, the Testament, Craig, you still researched. <laughs> it's all he calls us Craigie Pedia half the time. Sorry, Scott. <laughs> sorry, Scott. Yeah, come in. Oh, sorry. I think one part street where they finished for Gazi, or it got mixed whilst they weren't there. No, don't know. I Could believe... be true. Yeah, I think. I think. I think so. Didn't Fugazi get mixed and mucked around with with almost every single studio within the UK? Yeah, Fugazi, yeah I think that's right. Yeah, when we did the Fugazi, they were mixing in about three or four studios, weren't they? Yeah. Uh, but I think, I think he got pulled I think, together. I think the yeah. final play, I think you're right though, Scott. The final playback was at Pass Street. Yeah. But by that point, they were hearing it just as they were going on tour and they couldn't do anything they with the mix. Couldn't do out with it, yeah. 
I think there's so many places. Don't I think probably John, even your kitchen was probably used for something. Like <laughs> <laughs> if it's in the bath, they could have used the timer. Yeah. <laughs> a, a little past street. Uh, it's a rubbish anecdote, really. My friend Hannah was doing something <laughs> in there, and we had a. I was touring with my friend David, as Craig knows. David Ford. Now hold on a second, my friend Hannah. Come on, it's Hannah Peel who is just. So yeah. in at the minute, bless she her. Is, she yeah, is, yeah, I know. She's, I mean, she's, she is massive at the minute. Yeah, she's it, a lovely person. Circles, yeah. um, she's a lovely person, and really talented. And she was doing a, um, a thing for the Liverpool City of Culture. So she said, oh, do you want to come down to the studio and um, hang out? And she was like, oh, it's called Past Street Studio. And my, my hairs on the back of my neck went up. And I was like, yes. <laughs> so all I did was just like wander around and just like sit on the floor, look around. And it was just geeking out really it was just a brown studio <laughs> so but it was still sorry gary go on go on but it was yeah it was just just being in there and i was like yeah. in my head it was just like this way they called it brave this is where they called it brave just stay calm <laughs> um, i was just going to ask it's still operational and still i'm not open. sure because the coral uh, <laughs> has it not just closed yeah That's it might have done I, thought, yeah. I know the coral had it for a bit the band the coral and but i'm not sure if it's still open or not I think because it's just closed, yeah yeah i think it wasn't i went there the... and... Yeah, some problems where the some of the stuff from was it afraid of sunlight or something was supposed to be stored there and it's gone, it went missing. That's why they had to do a whole um ground up like reworking of the yeah. afraid of sunlight remaster because the a lot of the stuff had gone missing and possibly that was a past street studios. Mm. Somebody can message in and go, Craig, you're full of shite. <laughs> Yeah. Ever knowingly accurate. <laughs> According to Google, I think it's still it's still open and working. Yeah, oh, right. we'll, yeah we'll get down there, record our album. <laughs> yeah. That's something the world never needs to hear. <laughs> Planet Marzipan album. <laughs> John and Spoons. <laughs> that would be my lot, yeah. So that was there a am I right in thinking there was some sort of a web launch of the magazine of the of the album, sorry? Didn't they do no. something in Holland? Oh, oh, well, sorry, I said no very confidently then, but yeah, I thought I, I thought they didn't have much time because they had to. It's similar to Fagaz, weren't it? Where they had to, but the tour they were committed to the tour. Yeah, they were, commi- the t- they were committed to the tour in the February. The album was supposed to be out in the September of '93. Yeah, so I think it was. I think it'd been supposed to be going to this like the summer of '93, then September '93, and then the next window was was February. But I, think, I think it was really close because I seem to remember travelling to Liverpool. That was two uh, weeks. I think it was two weeks. Yeah, from the... and still listening to the album, trying to get my head around it um, before, you know. Before Were you I saw at the Liverpool gig? Yeah, I was, yeah. Fantastic. That'll be Sunday the 20th of February, uh, a warm-up gig. I've got it in my web. <laughs> I, feel like <laughs> right, I feel like a right geek. Um, yeah, it's in, that, it's in the web, Mac. Gary, what well, on here? What on here? We are geeks. That's it. I, <laughs> I, hate know, I know. I'm, I'm with it. I'm out of depth, me. When you've done a really podcast, that ship has sailed. Yeah, yeah I know. Yeah. That ship has sailed and sunk. <laughs> that was the first performance of Brave in its entirety. They did four acoustic sort of radio shows between January and the 11th of February. so Yeah, that, what, that's what I must have been thinking, rather than a, a fan uh, club shows, the, the radio Holland, stuff. Germany, it, and two in Italy, where they did Cover My Eyes, Easter, Hollow Man, Lap of Luxury, Great Escape, Hooks in You and Slange. Mm-hmm. Um, that may well be where the acoustic promo EP comes from, or those arrangements. 
Yeah, the the acoustic promo EP was from a radio broadcast, if I remember right. I didn't know about that the existence of that until this two CD remaster, and I think they're absolutely yeah, it, it's quite, yeah, because I, I know it's on the it was on the uh, what year was that remaster? Was that the ninety eight ninety eight one? So that that stuff didn't port over at all to the uh, the Warners issue, which oh. issue, which is a shame. Yeah, well, I didn't even know that. I didn't even know that that acoustic CD did exist because it never know. turned up on any record fairs or anything that I'd seen. You know, prior to Brave, then every album was preceded with single, and probably um, some of the songs have been performed live, kind of as a teaser. Well, yeah, because with holidays you had um, the the stuff it in uh, was it was it Bristol? I saw that not in Bristol. This was preceded with a single, but not in this country. Yeah, yeah. So there was nothing in the UK other than getting that import of Great Escape, right? Yeah. Yeah, it was Hollow Man, wasn't it, the first, first single? Well, the UK was, but yeah. strangely, I think I posted this on our little pod group. In the initial CD of the album, yeah. you got this little inlay which talks about The Great Escape, available March 94, fe- features exclusive 12 minutes of extra music from Brave, and that was in the UK edition. Mm. Which, which didn't happen. <laughs> no. No. Why, why? Very strange. <laughs> but, uh... but it's it's funny because the the album came out we see without any fanfare or anything like that, and they say the seventh of seventh of February in ninety four, hmm. and it was hold on, Craig, Craigie PG, and this is this is with this is without actually looking on the internet. There was three, if I remember right, three new entries that week in the top ten. There was number one was uh, Enigma's Return to Innocence. That came number one. Therapy came out, and that was in the top ten. That came above Brave, and Brave was in number ten. Yeah. Um, See, this is Mikey. Mikey would be proud of us remembering this <laughs> crap. For uh, he's he's got all the chart statistics and stuff in his head. <laughs> I remember. I remember the Q review. It got three stars out of five. And they were, they were. I think they said about uh, Hogarth's voice, voice soars. That's the only thing I can really remember. About yeah, that, that was. A, it was the the thought the album was okay, but they really liked the Great Escape. Yeah, well, the Great Escape was released on single on the tenth of January in Holland. So was they, it Holland? Was it Holland and, and Germany, or was it just Holland? No, I don't just know. Holland, I think. But I was I was working in HMV when Brave uh, came out, and it did drop with very little fanfare. Uh, I remember that, and I remember opening up the box very excitedly in the stockroom, whacking it on this stockroom CD player, and it's just not a album that you put on the <laughs> stockroom CD player. I remember putting it on and thinking I must have been distracted. So what I'll do is I'll put it on again, and this was still in the stockroom at HMV, and it actually it wasn't really until I got it home and listened to it on headphones that it was like, oh. I like what's kind of going on here. Um, but, yeah, that very first listen, it was like, yeah. It, 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 it's kind of not surprising it got the reaction and that it, it did very initially. I, like, you know, went in at number 10, then dropped off, and then they struggled with the singles because, you know, it's not an album that you can just drop into. Is it even even like you know if you look at the uh, like misplaced childhood, which is technically one piece of music if you if you if you look at it, and uh, 
but you can still very much feel the different parts, can't you? Whereas I think initially with Brave, that just didn't feel like it. It felt like a Mirandering kind of... Uh, I, wasn't, I didn't think it was bad, but I didn't know why it was. Yeah. <laughs> I think I think I think my uh, I think my uh, was as I was saying earlier. It was such a long wait, and I was waiting all this time for a, a Marillion album to buy on the day of release. I say I just turned eighteen, and um, I soaked it up straight away. I, I, I'm not just saying this to be cool after the fact, but it, I loved it. Like second listen, it was like my favorite album I've ever heard. And maybe it was my age. Maybe it was that anticipation but I just feel like I just remember it just soaking up straight away and thinking this is genius Gary yeah. what did you think of it first time same as other Gary mate I mean I would have stuck with as we probably all would I would have stuck with the band regardless of what direction they went in but to me this was the album I was waiting for fit from the H era you know which I never knew that was something to make um, you know a territory they were going to go in but when they did, that was it, you know. Um, but I, I don't think it was two weeks after when we actually went to the gigs, you know. And I, I don't even think it was until we we'll come onto this. But when we saw it live, that's when it came alive as well, you know. And um, I kind of understood it more, you know. Greg, what did you make of it? Well, I'd, I'd first seen the cover a few weeks early, before any adverts were, before we saw it in the shops. It was uh, in the Brits magazine. Every year, the Brits Awards used to do a, a magazine that used to go into the HMVs and stuff like that. Pick up in Woolies, didn't you? Used to pick the magazine up in Woolies, I think. Yeah. I can't remember. Where I picked it up. Um, picked it more in Woolies, but you know, pick and mix. Uh, <laughs> and the cover was actually on part of a pile of covers uh, on an EMI advert for upcoming albums. And I saw the cover and I was like, "Ooh, that's nice. That's completely different." But yeah. Uh, so I knew what I was looking for as soon as <laughs> as soon as I went into the shop. And we, me and Mikey uh, were at college at the time, and we left college because we also always go like CD shopping and, and video shopping on a Monday for new releases and stuff. We used to go to Newcastle for that. And we are in college in in Sunderland, and we're going through to Newcastle. So we stopped off at the hour price in Washington to get the cassette to listen to in the car <laughs> on the way to Newcastle to buy the CD and the vinyl. Uh-huh. And the first, our first initial thoughts were they forgot to put the songs on. That's exactly what I, I was waiting for you all to do that because I hated it. I thought and my the, favorite band had lost it completely. I thought, what the chuffamadoodle is this? Because not I wasn't expecting a you know holidays holidays needing part two or seasons end part three or anything like that. I I just didn't know what to expect. So I think by the time we'd got to to Newcastle, I think we'd got up to like wave mad in the opium den and stuff and it's like what the actual because <laughs> there'd been nothing like it you know nothing like it at, at, at all even listening to the older stuff and it to be fair it it only took a, a couple of proper listens because i bought the cd bought the um bought the vinyl went home played the cd properly and as soon as i heard the great escape and made again is like yep and that was a, a, on, on my first listen you know, I was a bit the first half of the album and stuff, yeah. Um, once you got the great escape and that absolutely yeah, that I can get on board with this. And the more I listened to it on the the couple of weeks running up to go and see them in Leeds, I was I was really getting it. But once I saw it live, just like Gary said there, oh bye yuck. I as I said, I I mean I was talking to Leslie about the pod we were doing tonight. She said you hated it when it first came out. I did. I said exactly what you just said. They've forgotten to put the songs on it. 
there were three weeks between the album coming out and us going to that Leeds gig. It was on the 24th of February. Yeah. I think, as you and Gary have just said, I'd kind of, it was starting to seep in. I was, I was certainly persevering with it because they were my favourite band. Um, but seeing it live, just with the theatrics and H with the, the ponytails and the and the makeup and, and all of that, you know, it was it really came to life then. Yeah, it was special. Yeah. That, yeah. Uh, that's how I, yeah, I, I, when it clicked in for me, I never listened on headphones. It's when Wave came on. That was when I, I was like, oh, my, this is good. This is good. <laughs> and then, yeah, um, yeah, by the time, yeah, we got to Liverpool and then the performance at Liverpool, it was like, yeah, this is special. And um, yeah, I think it stayed that way for me. I've never changed my opinion on it, really. I still joke with Craig, whenever they play Mad Live, I still turn to him and say, this is when they were good, isn't it? (laughs) 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 doesn't normally get that reaction. It just rolls his eyes normally. Yeah. (laughs) I'm sure in um, H's Invisible Man Diaries, you know, that he mentions that Leeds gig as being something special. I mean, it was for what me. Was it? And you it was the, the TNC was, a, yeah. you know, a, a, just a big square venue, wasn't it? It was a strange sort of place. But I had quite a wide stage, if I remember right. We did, yeah. We'd seen fish there on the sushi tour, didn't we? Yeah, yeah. It was on the, um, on, on the Songs from the Mirror. Yeah. The Mirror tour. With the uh, Nets. And I, I mean, very off topic this, but I remember seeing Little Angels on their last tour in that room and the whole room was just jumping up and down front to back. It was uh, a different sort of gig to the Brave gig, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's, a, there's a silly things I remember about that that gig. I mean, I was, it was me what, fourth fourth time seeing them. Two on, that's in twice on holidays, once on the, the 10th anniversary gig and then Brave was me. Uh, gig. But I mean, there was a year and a half in between. From the September ninety uh, two through to the, the February ninety two, it was a a long period of time and not not seeing them. Mm. And I remember being really impressed with John Wesley as well and the support. I really, liked, yeah, yeah. Really, liked, really liked John Wesley and yeah. that that gig was was absolutely stunning. And I and I couldn't have given two chuffs if they'd actually played anything after Brave. You know, I wasn't there necessarily just to see to see them play Keely or everything like that. You know, I wanted to see Brave, and I absolutely blown away with it. Obviously, it was the because um, I saw them on. I think I saw them on Saturday night at um, Hammersmith. I think that was the first one. Let me just double check. Um, no, it was the Forum. It's now the uh, Town Forum. Yeah, it's now yeah. So that have been the first. I saw them in London with my cousin, and obviously I walked in and it was the the river, and I was like, Yeah, have they started? What's this? Is that no one care? Is what's going on? Yeah. It's, it's it's confusing my eighteen-year-old brain. Um, and oh, it was just, and it was yeah, the, the atmosphere in there. I can still I can still kind of see it now. Brilliant gig as well. Two nights of the forum on the first leg. Yeah, but yeah, it was, it was Mike Hunter pulled River together, wasn't it? It was. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Do you think uh, think in retrospect, John Wesley seemed so good because you were just about to get your arse board off you for an hour of. Uh... <laughs> Ambience. <laughs> <laughs> the funny thing is, is, is my dad was was at that gig, and I think that was his first Marillion gig. And he'd spent, he was at the back by the bar, and he'd spent a fair bit of time actually talking to John Wesley, having a crack on with him, mm-hmm. uh, uh, where we were down the front. 
for the rest of the gig, so like Leeds and whatever. So for the, uh, I don't know whether this happened at all gigs, but for the Liverpool gig, they had incense burners everywhere, not on, only on stage, but around. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, H, H talks about that in the documentary, but I don't recall. I mean, it may have happened. No, I don't think so, because it was a, it was a standing gig and it was quite what, packed. Where was it in Liverpool? What, what venue was it? Uh, Royal Court. Oh, right, okay. Which is the one, uh, one on the slope, and I don't know. If it's yeah, still yeah. Is. yeah. But um, yeah, the, the, it was like on the piano and like sort of where the stage started, but before the monitors, there was like a, like a row of them, if I remember rightly. And um, yeah, um, and it, I mean, it stunk. <laughs> why did you? Why did you go to Liverpool, Scott? Because it was the first one. Uh, yes. Well, interestingly as well, and I really don't know the answer to this. I'll never know because it's only my memory. So, but, um, it was also the only gig I did on the Brave Tour, which, wow. yeah, which if I went back to holidays in Eden, Eden, the only dates I didn't do were the Scottish dates. So I, I did you did quite, you did, you did pretty much all of them, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. Just, I, yeah. Like, and like by the time they did Cumbria Rock, I'd got like backstage pass for that and stuff because I, I was so, always there and always with them um so what i i I really really don't know i don't know where it got in the way or something like that but yeah i am saw him at liverpool um and yeah i would have been an eager beaver to go and see what what it was um so yeah liverpool's the only show but it was a it was a special show i mean i when people ask me what is your favorite gig of all time i normally say that one wow yeah but speaking of cumbria rock though we didn't do that. Gary, you did Dead uh, Cumbria Rock, didn't you, Mr. Page? I, I didn't. I know you didn't see my T-shirt. I didn't know um, what they did. What no, they did I, I, I didn't. Uh, I, I bought the T-shirt from Eastbourne HMV for some random reason. It was just in there. And oh. I, I, remember, I remember listening to the tape till it wore out from Radio 1 and uh, the interview with Tommy Vance at the beginning. Um, I think I did it in a toilet or something. Um, <laughs> But no, you've seen my. How many of... recordings in toilets are going to be in this podcast? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but no, that that T-shirt in that picture I shared with you is is, um, yeah, I I didn't get Avi Spawn. I didn't get to Cumbria. That was too oh. far. That was too far away for oh. my for me at eighteen. <laughs> I was because he's like three hundred plus miles away from. Avi I know. Spawn. Yeah. <laughs> miles, miles. Yeah, away. it is interesting though because the reason I was like I get Cumbria as well is because the, it was not in my mindset at the time that I would miss a Marillion gig anywhere in the UK. So to go to that from from that to only going to Liverpool, I can only assume it was something to do with work. <laughs> You've blocked it out of your memory. <laughs> Must have, yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> I did um on the first leg, i same as Gary, uh did Leeds and then did uh, Newcastle City Hall, which was was it Friday the thirteenth of May? 94 I believe for... it was. That, was, that wasn't oh. really the first leg. That wasn't really the first leg. Here. Um, that's it, that's it. I was on the second leg, that one. I know the that's following it. night, it was Nottingham, and I went to that as well. And that was a Saturday, so your, your 13th of May makes, well, yeah. the Friday part of that, definitely. Because yeah. I, I remember that's, uh, there's few people I knew there, in fact, um, Phil Taylor, who was my biology teacher at school, would we'll talk He'll pop up on different pods all the time because he's <laughs> he's uh, he he's much missed and he was a great guy and used to see him at loads of gigs and and stuff like that and um, massive Marillion fan. But uh, we were talking there and he'd been a fan like John from 
day one. And he'd said that at the time that that Newcastle gig on the on the Brave tour was his favourite gig of all the times he'd actually seen them up to that point. Uh, he was he really really loved it. And um, to be fair, I, I think that that gig in Newcastle when H sang Brave, I think at that point that was the most impressed I'd ever been with his voice. That song, that gig, that venue, it was just out out of this world. For me, Craig, I think that Leeds was so special and oh, yeah. being naive to it when we went as well um, that the second leg couldn't live up to it. But I'm guessing they were, they were more polished. And- I saw him in Sheffield on that second leg and Leslie came with me. It was her first Marillion gig. And we enjoyed it so much, we bought tickets for Birmingham, which was about three nights later. Um, but they were still... I mean, City Hall's... Sheffield City Hall's one of my favourite venues anyway. Uh, and it's special for H as well because of, you know, him seeing the bands of the 70s there. Uh, but they were absolutely stunning. By the time that second leg came around, they got the the show hunt, you know, with all the sort of changes and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, but the funny thing is, is it, are they, we're, are, are we the exception to the rule in, in respect of how impressed we were with Brave even live at that time? But they did get a lot of crap for and They did get a lot of people you know, didn't like it, didn't like the fact that they were playing 70 minutes of new music, didn't like the fact there was no very little like fishy era material, didn't just didn't like it. It 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 wasn't universally acclaimed. Well, there wasn't even an opportunity for H to speak to the band until Hollow Man. So you've got all that 20 minutes that precedes it, not not interacting with the audience at all. Because there's a performance piece. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. if you're going for a rock show, that wasn't it. No, no, no. But yeah, it... I, mean, I, I don't remember much negativity personally, but equally there was no social media, was there? So I suppose it was no. down to who you were talking to in the queue and what they thought. But, yeah, I seem to remember people being more, like, in awe of it than, than anything else. But uh, I certainly know me and my mates uh, were all very... We were massively, massively influenced to it because I was in, I was in their signed prog band at the time, and we'd we'd recorded half the album based on, and we were all Marillion fans, and so it was quite poppy, more on the holidays of Eden type kind of thing, and then we com- and we had a massive just change of direction. We were even burning incense in the studio when we were recording. <laughs> yeah, I mean that that was the yeah. So for me, it was always always like that really well received apart from anyone outside of Marillion like no, fans. And, yeah and no uh no dog attacks in the queue while you were waiting to get in the no no it's good I, I, and of course at that time as well people still smoked tin gigs didn't they yeah. Yeah. Mm, yeah so I I do I do remember being like really really squashed luckily I was tall um and there was all this incense going off play in mind and uh, you've got all the smoke as well as this level of <laughs> smoke so, and, Scott, uh, you, you and two second... houses behind me yeah sorry scott you're in the second row but this isn't a time when that didn't matter everyone just pushed forward and crowded <laughs> into the rows like yeah 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 i was i was lucky because by that by that time i was and i still am <laughs> six foot four so it kind of uh, I was a lot skinnier then, but it always, I could always hold my position in a, in a gig 
uh, by kind of floating with it. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it was uh, yeah, it was good. I mean, as I say, it was. Um, mate, your having to make your height is handy because we always see where you are when you want to get back in the. <laughs> you want to get back in the crowd, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I go stand by that guy over there. Yeah, I was, uh, yeah. So, uh, yeah. So that that was my story from uh, um, from from then. So <laughs> the funny thing is, is the the reviews for the album. I know we've mentioned uh, Q magazine, but things like Kerrang and Raw, who were around at the time, they. They really championed the band on Drive. Mm, you know, yeah. give me Kerrang, they gave it the, the five Ks and said it was like, like the, one of the most influential uh, rock albums in the last like, decade or something like that. Yeah. And it's also in the time where music, the, the UK rock scene was changing like, dramatically. You know, the, yeah. the, hair, the hair bands were falling away a bit. And you had like the introduction of grunge and the likes of Nirvana and stuff. Yeah. Mm. So here you've got Marillion coming out with something that's, I would say, kind of timeless. If you listen to it musically wise, it's not fashionable at any time, and it's I wouldn't say that it fits with the the grunge kind of experience, but it's 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 closer to like a Nirvana album than it is to say like a mm. Heart album. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. In- interestingly, Craig, in one of the webs, I can't find it now, but H or, or Mark says, um, or, or Roderick, it might be Rothery, they mention Nirvana and REM, strangely enough. Yeah. And they, and yeah. they say that it's not, um, they say it doesn't sound like those bands, but it's got the drive of those bands, which yeah. I thought, which I never realized at the time, but reading it this afternoon, yeah, it kind of makes sense. Yeah, it doesn't sound like REM. No, no. And I was a I massive. Got- no, I'm a massive REM fan. I know you sorry. are. I've, I've got the complete opposite view of REM. <laughs> one of the most overrated bands on the planet. Oh, one, one day you'll you'll get it. I, Probably not. I, I say that to all my friends about Marillion. I, I do remember H saying, again, around that time or just a few years later, saying, had that album been released by Radiohead, it would have been hailed as a classic. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely, yeah. Would, yeah. Which I, I, think think, is... I think the name, if 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 they'd been able to, you know, you know how there's, there's the talk about the AMI trying to be clever with the uh, the PR release of the album and hiring out the London Planetarium and almost hinting to people that it was for the new Pink Floyd album yeah. and that, you know, that, that something like that, I can see why they would try to do something like that, to try and give somebody like a fresh opinion of, of something that is, you know, something like you know, living with the big lie is nothing like Emerald Lies. You know, it's mm. it's just pulls it, apart. Yeah, it's it, only ten years apart, but it's mm. it's so different. Yeah. So so I, I can understand them wanting to try and do something different to say, look, this isn't this isn't the old Marillion. This is something completely mm. different. Yeah, I'll say it again. I said it on a previous pod. It absolutely baffles me uh, that a magazine like Mojo uh, champions Pink Floyd, Genesis, and those kind of bands, yet they won't have a single inch about Marillion. <laughs> They won't. They didn't. They didn't review um, an album. It's dark. They didn't review the reissues. It's 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 baffling. It really is baffling. Yeah. They played to the readership, though, Gary, aren't they? They put you know they, they put articles yeah. about Floyd and Genesis because they yeah. shift units. Yeah, but you think I don't know. And Radiohead, obviously, are loved by yeah, Mojo, yeah. but and just like yeah. yeah, just have a little feature about Brave or, or even like I remember, yeah. 
So I, I remember Q, Q magazine backtracked, didn't they? Yeah. So I think its initial review was very lukewarm in, in Q, but when they released Afraid of Sunlight, mm. they gave that five stars yeah. and said it was in the top. Like, it was in the Rave top. was massively underrated, yeah, yeah. And, and put really high in their end of year charts, I think. And uh, so I think they they kind of got it in the end. But, mm. I think anyway. they've they've always had a, a PR problem ever since Fish left, no matter what they've done. And, you know, the, there's times where they did get onto mainstream media, you know, your, your interviews on your TV AMs and things like that and got onto their chat shows and, and bits and bobs around. But nothing ever really stuck because there was still such a, a false image of mm. 19... Nothing moved from 1985. No. Uh, it, it's like I, even when I've, I've said to people, you know, oh, as, as Fish left Marillion, said, yeah, Fish left Marillion <laughs> while Margaret Thatcher was still Prime Minister. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, come on. Yeah. Kind of yeah. you there, Craig. Are you there, Craig? Oh, you just... Um, it, it, no, it's, it's true. It's true. It's silly. Yeah. It's silly. It's like, you know, Roger, Roger Moore was still bloody James... No, he wasn't, actually. It was Timothy Dalton. <laughs> yeah, Timothy Dalton was James Bond. Come on. Wikipedia, <laughs> in effect. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's... I mean, the even the fact that people still, you know, had the whole jester thing and the old... Uh, artwork. I mean, you still see stuff now with modern stuff where they, they go for they go for the different art. You know, they go for the old artwork stuff. But I think yeah. Brave. I think Holidays Need was the one that that really started the change in in the art direction. Yeah. And Brave is possibly one of the more iconic covers now as being you know, one of the one of the best because it's simple and does it does what it says on the tin. <laughs> <laughs> so John's holding up the uh, the the DVD of Brave the Movie. So the band had the cunning plan, and I use the term in inverted commas. The planning what? Cunning plan, the Baldrick cunning plan, to use the money that they would have spent on three promos to make Brave the Movie. And much as I love you listeners, I've watched this once before in my life. <laughs> life is too short to watch this again. So... I'm pleased to say that some of my friends on this podcast have taken one for the team and watched this again recently. So, Craig, you've watched it. Gary, have you watched it? Uh, well, Gary P, this Gary one. Well, well, I will never watch it again. No, well, you're with me then. <laughs> Not have you watched it? I have, yes. Okay. Well, Craig, what do you make of this pile of steaming top? <laughs> well, what's, what's, the, what's the word that you used after, you used after cluster? <laughs> it, it's still like from my memory i won't watch, i haven't watched it for about 20 years um it it, it, it was a b-tech film it was like some b-tech students have made it cobbled it together it was it considering he made qualifications the, were slightly better than that considering this guy i mean i've seen hardware i've seen dust devil yeah they're really good films and whether he didn't have the budget or um, I don't know, but it, it it's just terrible. They should have made a film without the band in it and just had yeah, that. It, it should have been it should be one way or the other. It should yeah, have been talk, either. We're a... talking about Richard Stanley, the director. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, I mean there are parts of it. I would, you know, I'll I'll not crucify it completely. There in are credit. parts of it which are effective. Uh, the credits. That part, the Hollow Man video. Fits that that's the one thing, the one part of it that the imagery fits the song perfectly. 
it just it, it is it it's really really good. It is really good. The opium den and slide stuff is visually stunning. The whole like dream sequencey kind of thing is 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 visually stunning there. The rest of it is just tosh. I can't I can't get away with um the cheesy voiceover of like the psychologist thing yeah. and the oh the the imagery on the seven bridge and stuff like that is is nice, but I just it's it's like what what Gary says. It, it's just like a eighteen year old B Tech student cobbling something it's, together. Yeah, I don't think the the band didn't have as much input into it. All they did was like two days worth of film and like their insert bits of like playing some music and mm-hmm. and that. Yeah, but... the, the the thing I have issue with is it's a dark album. We're not yeah. we, we we know that. Yeah. And but the album is has some kind of charm and beauty and and that that film is just charmless and it's it's not beautiful for me. It's I mean the the characters are the actors. I don't want to diss the acting. Well, there's uh, no there's but, acting but, but there's no dialogue. Yeah, but there's it's, no they're it's... not they're not every character in it is not likable or I, I don't know. It's it's it, yeah. It's, I, really I'm, I'm going to stop talking about it. I really wish they'd spent the money. Record it filming the live show. Yeah, totally. To have that live show on film from '94 would be amazing. I mean, the 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 story that's portrayed when they were playing live by what Hogarth was doing. Yeah, yeah, it was more far more compelling. And uh, I think I can't, I've, Gary. I think you might have said it is that it shouldn't have had the band in. That 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 was so. So if you there's actually a few parallels in there between the wall, Pink Floyd mm. and Brain. Well, that's what they were I, aiming for, but on the budget yes, of fifty pence. Yeah, <laughs> but but like the, you know, the album with, had got a concept to it, and it was going. It was very dark, and yeah, and um, and and unless well, okay, in Scott's humble opinion, the Pink Floyd wall film ain't that good. Certainly not compared to like the live version. <laughs> oh, oh, well, yeah, marginally better, but I think it helps that Pink Floyd aren't in the film. And I think if Marillion went to, it, bro- it broke the what was going on in the film. You, you're supposed to be watching this girl's journey, and suddenly you've got um, fucking Peter Wallace turning up his base, sort of turning around yeah. to what, in the middle of like, what's that? And you've got, you've got H, you've got H in, was it, is it hard as, hard as Oh, don't, uh, don't, oh, don't, don't, oh, I've, I've, you don't want those images in your head. I've got rid of them. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so, I hadn't seen it for so long that I thought the promo videos were just the film with the band and a green screen in front of them. I hadn't realized the band were in the film because I haven't watched it. Since. Gary, yeah, don't watch it. Just... You don't need to see it. I have got it though. I have got it. Yeah, well, that's just look at the box. That's all you need to do. Yeah, yeah. I've got watch I've got the it. documentary. It's documentary on the end. Yeah, just watch that. Yeah, yeah. Or just watch art, the Hollow Man video. That's fine. Yeah, as a piece of art, it's shite. <laughs> <laughs> and I see there's a um, Richard Stanley documentary about Richard Stanley when he worked yeah. with Marlon Brando. Oh yeah, and oh, got fired Dr. from the island of Doctor Amaru. Yeah, yeah. Fantastic. Didn't he? Yeah. Didn't he end up just as being one of the monsters? In yeah, he sneaked back <laughs> on set as a monster. It's brilliant. But to echo John's point, I think it's criminal that the tour was not filmed. Especially, well, there, are, there are a couple of of like bootleg kind of ones because it was recorded yeah. for um, 
South American TV, wasn't it? And there's a couple of other things anyway. But there was at the time they had did get an offer from Eagle Rock to record it, but AMI said no. Uh, they 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 put the kibosh on it. I mean, who at EMI would say no? That sounds like an awful idea. But I love what they got going on here with Richard Stanley. I think the fact that, I think the fact of the matter is they spent so much money. Yeah, they spent so much money that they didn't want to license anything else off because they thought if, yeah. if we're not going to make money from this, you're not going to make money from this. Yeah. <laughs> and strangely enough, I remember um, seeing my sister said, "Oh." She looked at listings. They showed it on TV. Like, yeah, it was on ITV. Yeah. It was a music some... show like through the night that yeah. used to show stuff like that. I can't for the some... life of us remember it. No, but it I was, can't. Was it, it was Michael shown... Mansfield? There was a guy called Michael Mansfield, I'm sure. It... Or something like that. He had grey hair. Um, yeah, he introduced it. And yeah. uh, I remember seeing it for the first time on there. Can uh... you remember, was it the full film? I, well, I'm not sure. uh, no, I think it was was I think it might have not been shown till after uh, a couple of us went down to oh, the yeah. schoolhouse <laughs> in Milton Keynes in July of '94 to uh, as a, a web fan club event where they showed the Brave the film. And it was the uncut version of Brave the film before <laughs> the BBFC had took their their snips to it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that was a hot and interesting evening because uh, mm. you were there, Gary. I was there. We didn't I, know each other at the day. We didn't know. And it was, um, I went on my, my dad dropped me off because my sisters were going to go and see Wet, Wet, Wet at <laughs> Dalton Towers for some reason. Um, so they dropped I me off. I think you missed out there, Gary. I know. I think, yes. I think, we, I think we missed out there. <laughs> <laughs> wet, wet, twice. So they, I loved them. I've seen them live. Out there, great. Yeah, I, I, I just it was the same day as the Brave film. So yeah, we, I was there, um, met a couple of guys from Doncaster, and came pen pals for a bit. It was a great day. Yeah, it was. Um, didn't meet was, Craig though, sadly. Sadly, um, I, I was get there to him. All, all the fans around him. Go and get. <laughs> 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 it's that dick from Newcastle. <laughs> um, yeah. But the it was an interesting thing because John Wesley uh, played a set with um, Mark Kelly on keyboards and Jump played a set. Um, there was no other band members there that I can remember off. No. And I've got the uh, the actual application form for tickets. Oh, yeah. bloody hell! Look at that. It's all, I've got so much stuff. I was going to my... say, what's in your loft? <laughs> it's, it's... it's fish up there. <laughs> 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 I mean, there's, there's stuff in there I haven't seen, I haven't seen for donkey's years. Um, someone who that got, what's the chap's name that runs the museum? Um, who used to run the museum? Oh, you mean Marcos? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh no, Andy Rotherham. Andy Rotherham okay. used to do the the museum for yeah. the, um, well, the weekends. He's probably got it all, but there's so much stuff in here. Um, yeah, little letters and stuff. Michelle's good. Well, take it, take it, uh, <laughs> take it. It's all in the loft. It the it's, it's all, it's all in, the, in the loft with my football trophies, which aren't <laughs> many. But <laughs> I've just, funny enough, I just donated all mine to that that like online museum now, guy. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah I, I have folders and folders and folders of like every interview and tickets and whatnot. And uh, yeah, yeah, I thought I, I thought it'd be it's been stuck in the shed, and I thought it'd be nicer for people to see it than. 
you've just been stuck in my shed. So, so like Michelle, did Jane do a happy dance when he did that? <laughs> <laughs> I think she thought I got rid of it about 20 years ago. <laughs> it's been hiding in the shed ever since. <laughs> yeah, it was the, the price of the ticket for the Brave film, it was £10. It includes your entrance fee, a commemorative T-shirt and snacks in brackets. Yeah, there was... There was nibbles, food, nibbles it, yeah. not meal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Did they um, lock the doors? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> from the outside. Lock the doors when you get in. Yeah, gives you the... Op- escape during the film. The opportunity to see the uncensored version of Brave the Film. See, well. the, since this film contains the very graphic scenes, we have to put the limitations. 18 over. Sorry. In brackets. That's why Craig was at the front of the queue. <laughs> <laughs> Marillion porn, I don't think so. But, <laughs> but obviously, think so. obviously, Mark was there, wasn't he, Craig? I got yes, yeah, my yeah, T-shirt yeah. signed. He was the only member of the band who was there. Um, the rest of the The other ones were all in all towers. Having a much better time. <laughs> so there's a future cast and crew podcast coming, is there? <laughs> well, I did mention to John about reaching out to some of the people to do with the film, and I got told in no uncertain terms. Oh. You're not inviting Richard Stanley on here. <laughs> <laughs> All you'd see is his hat. <laughs> and his flasher, Mac. Well, <laughs> anywho, <laughs> shall we talk about the music? I was going to say, yeah. this is supposed to be a you know quite a dark and depressing yeah, album. Yeah, that's for well, part two. Say, yeah, what, what's interesting is the contrast into it because I like album probably the best Marillion album. I think a lot of people think that the film. Yeah. <laughs> I've just remembered, guys. I've just remembered a Vox review. Do you remember Vox magazine? Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. They get guess guess how much they how, guess how many uh, marks they gave out of ten. One, no zero. Oh, I, 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 I remember it clearly. I was thinking, do you know what? I would be livid about that normally, but you have got a point. <laughs> was, Vox, was Vox the cassette magazine? Yeah, yeah. It was like yeah, indie. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah. I loved it. I mean, I'm an yeah. Apart from million, I'm an indie kid, so. Yeah, it's very good thing in America, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Zero, okay. zero out of ten. Well, that was it. Well, that bombshell. Thank you very much, Gary F. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Scott. Thank you very much. Probably just run off to the toilet. <laughs> Gary P. Cheers, lads. Thank you. Faye. Why, thank you, young sir. This has been a blast, guys. Thank you very much for listening to this. If you've made it all the way, all the way to the end, You deserve a medal. We'll be back to talk about the music next week and the live recordings, of which there are a lot. But stay tuned next week for more Brave. It's good night from me. And it's good night from him. Take care. Good night from them. (laughs) Take care and stay alive. (laughs) Thanks for listening to Planet Marzipan Podcast. Please like and subscribe from whichever platform you get your podcasts from. You can contact us at planetmarzipanpodcast at gmail.com and check out marillion.com, fishmusic.scot or fishmusic.eu for all the good stuff.